to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 71 and part of our multifamily brief series. Today, we're going to talk about a pretty important thing when you're purchasing apartments, uh, and that's the due diligence you do on the apartment complex. Hey, once again, my name is Brian Briscoe, Four Oaks Capital. Happy to be here with you today, and let's just jump right into it. So one of the things we always do on properties we purchase, and I think everybody should do, and most people most people realize you have to do this, is due diligence. You know, one thing with with real estate transactions is there's always a buyer beware. You know, that's kind of the idea you have going in is it's the buyer's responsibility to understand the condition of the property before they buy. And the due diligence period is is the tool that we have to be able to understand the condition of the property before we execute the agreement and, and purchase the property. One of the things you look to answer while you're doing the due diligence is the question, why shouldn't we buy the property? You know, so you're going to try to find everything that's wrong with the property within a reasonable amount of time and make a decision on whether or not you're going to go forward with the purchase. Now, due diligence starts before closing. I mean, typically, you're going, to, you're going to build a due diligence period into the contract, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the due diligence is going to start long before you close. You know, While you're up, going up into the pro, the closing process, you need to be preparing for that due diligence. You know, for example, as you analyze a deal, there are going to be some assumptions that you're going to make before you make an offer. You know, maybe the renovation budget, the capital expenses required, how much deferred maintenance you're going to have to put in there. You know, and the vacancy and other things like that. Speaking of all that, you're also going to be working off some very limited financial information. I mean, you may have a rent roll and a T12, but essentially you have only what the seller is allowing you to have prior to coming under contract. So working off this limited financial information, you know, you're painting a picture of what the property is like, which may not be completely accurate. You know, so keep track of your known unknowns during your analysis of the property. You know the things that you are, um, you you know you're estimating, or the things you know you're making an assumption on, and these are the things you're going to have to make sure that you verify during the due diligence process. Now, during the process, when we analyze a property up until closing, even even after closing, you know we are always sharpening our pencil. You know the first time you look at a property, there's a lot of assumptions you're you're making. And at each phase in the process, you know, once once you've said, hey, this this property may actually work for us, you're going to sharpen your pencil and you're going to, to fill in a lot of the blanks and make sure a lot of the details are taken care of. And the due diligence process is just part of that process where you're getting more information, sharpening your pencil, reevaluating things, rerunning your numbers and, and doing all of that. So um, let, let's talk about the, the letter of intent. You know, you, you're going to put in an offer via a letter of intent. So what do you want to have in this letter of intent to make sure your due diligence is set up for success? Well, number one, you want to include a contingency for that due diligence period. We typically ask for a 30-day inspection contingency and make sure your earnest money is refundable if you walk away during the inspection contingency period. I mean, the contingency period by itself is just going to allow you to get out of the contract, but specify that that earnest money deposit is also refundable if you find something during the due diligence process 
that you don't like. And don't specify what that is. All right. If you're able to, you know, if you're able to negotiate something in there saying that you can walk away for whatever reason you want, that's even better for you. Now, depending on how hot the market is, you know, we have seen places where the earnest money deposit is hard at close at uh, at contract, which means basically there's a portion of that that's non-refundable. This really, you know, in super competitive markets, you know, this this may be something that you have to do. But in markets that aren't competitive, like I said, definitely make sure that that earnest money deposit is going to come back to your pocket if you walk away during the inspection contingency period. Right. Earnest money deposit is 1% typically of the overall purchase price. Um, on the last property that uh, that we closed on, uh, that earnest money deposit was 75 grand. Okay, So kind of something that you want to be able to put back into your pocket if you walk away. Now, also include a clause in the, in the LOI and the subsequent purchase and sale agreement, the PSA, that the seller is required to hand over certain documents. Now, include detailed financials, you know, including bank statements, okay, insurance policy, claims, title reports, land surveys, property tax information, all of the leases, bank statements, contracts, maintenance laws, the capital expenditure report. You know, there, there's so many things that you should put into the LOI and into the contract that the seller has to hand over to make sure that you get these documents. Now, one tip is typically you're going to put, you know, a 30-day contingency period in there. And if you don't otherwise state it, the contingency period is going to start when the PSA is signed or the purchase and sale agreement is signed. You can tie something in there to when the seller gives you the documents. You know, if it takes the seller 15 days to provide you all these documents and your contingency period starts at the signing of the PSA, you know, you only have 15 days of, of true due diligence. So, you know, try to put, work something into the contract that says that, you know, you, you have extra days in your contingency period, you know, however you and your attorney want to word it, but make sure that you have extra timeline or the seller meets his timeline. And if the seller doesn't meet the timeline, you should get extra time on your due diligence. Now, and if you don't have these things in this, in, in the contract, you're not going to get them from the seller. Um, Okay, so let's let's talk about the the actual you know due diligence process after close. You know, typically people are going to break it down into two separate phases. You know, phase one is basically you're reviewing the paperwork, all of the documents, and phase two is the physical property inspections. Now, a lot of people will do phase one first, and I think it's smart for several reasons. You know, number one, phase one does not cost a lot of money. There's no travel involved. There's no third party inspections involved, which all cost money. You know, so Yes, you can spend money and you probably should spend money in phase one of, of due diligence, but you're going to avoid the bigger expenses if you do phase one first. And if you find something that's seriously wrong with the finances or something like that, you can address it before you spend more money. Now, keep in mind, the longer you take before you start the physical inspections, the less time you have to follow up on those inspections later, but uh, you know, typically two phases of the due diligence. So let's talk specifically about you know phase one. You know, like like I, like I just mentioned, it's relatively inexpensive, and it's going to help you know what to look for when you get to the property. So that's one more thing that that makes it advantageous to do phase one before you do phase two. You know, review all the documents that you requested on the on the contract, and like I said, do it before you spend money on the physical inspections. Keep a list of questions that come up while you're going through the documents. Now, something else you want to do is outsource portions of this if you can. You know, some property managers will do a lot of this work for you. Uh, it may cost you a fee um, and it may cost, you know, the fact that you have to sign a contract with them. And that's not a big deal because you're probably going to have a property manager manage it anyway. And in order to get a loan, most lenders are going to require 
a contract with the property manager. So don't be afraid to sign a contract with the property manager and don't be afraid to pay them to help you with some of this due diligence process. Now, something I'll also note is the lender is also going to do their own due diligence on the property and they're going to have you pay for several of the reports. You know, loan application fees are typically about $10,000 and they're going to include an environmental report, an appraisal, and a property condition report. Two tips here, you know, number one, don't spend a lot of out-of-pocket expenses on this stuff because you don't want to pay for it twice. And number two, the current owners are going to have a phase one environmental report. They're probably going to have an appraisal. It might be a few years old, but they're going to have an appraisal and they're going to have a property condition report for when they got the loan on the property. So ask for these documents, okay? Ask for them in the LOI, ask for them in the purchase and sale agreement. Now, you're not going to have access to reports reports up front. So one more tip is in the purchase and sale agreement, ask for contingency on this, you know, with, with the lender and just say, hey, look, if the lender reports, if the environmental reports come up with something like this, the seller is responsible to remedy the problems. Okay, talk to your attorney about how to word that, but but make sure there's also an out because these these documents are actually not going to be available to you until later on in the process and definitely not within the 30-day due diligence. Now, in this phase, like I said, you're going to audit all the documents provided and make sure everything is telling the same story. So just, just a couple of examples. I mean, look at your bank documents. You know, the deposits on the monthly, monthly financial reports that the seller gives you should match what's on the bank statements. You know, if they're telling you that the annual NOI is, you know, say $500,000, you should be able to look through those bank statements and see about a $500,000, you know, number of, of deposits. Also look for contracts, you know, contract amounts, utility bills should match, you know, what's stated on that, those contracts and those bills should match what's on the monthly financial statements. You know, pay a specific attention to the, the rent rolls and the leases as well. You know, the rent amounts and the occupancy on the rent roll should match what you see on the financial reports. You know, for example, if it says monthly collections should be around $50,000 based on the occupancy and, and the current rents, that's what should be on the financial reports. And that, that's what should be, you know, basically deposited to the seller's account less the expenses every month. And then, as I mentioned, pay attention to the leases, do a lease audit. This is something your property manager probably should help with. And I would say that if your property manager is going to manage the property, they better know what's in all of the leases because they're the ones that are going to be, you know, first line of defense and and basically executing what's in those leases. So if they're going to manage the property, they should do the lease audit anyway. Um, get them to do that upfront. And once again, you may have to pay them, you know, an hourly rate or a flat fee per lease for them to do that. But you know, they've got trained eyes; they know what to look for, and you know, they're the experts in this in this field. On on one property we closed on when we did the lease audit. We found that the previous owner had a clause in the lease that had an option to renew the lease at a set rate. So they already had the new monthly rent in the contract when they signed it. Okay, which tied our hands a little bit. You know, so if you're looking to to do significant rent increases, if if the property is lagging market rents by a significant amount, and you find out that the lease has you know a $25 rent bump already built into it, you may need to reevaluate your strategy. So end of the day, you know, go through everything, you know, this, this is not a thorough analysis of what, what you could do on due diligence. Uh, I did a one hour webinar about a year ago on the due diligence process. And that one hour webinar wasn't sufficient. So this is just giving you an idea, scratching the surface of what you should be doing during the phase one due diligence. All right, let's quickly move on to phase two, which is the, the property inspection. So 
Well, first question is, who do you want to bring with you? Okay. I would say you should bring several people with you. You know, your property manager should be with you. Um, if you want to pay for an inspector, bring an inspector with you. Bring a general contractor with you and bring other contractors as needed. You know, if during your property tours, you know, prior to putting the contract in, you found there's a lot of potholes or the asphalt was getting old, bring an asphalt guy. Okay. Have them walk the property, have them build you an estimate of what it's going to cost to either repave or, or, reseal the parking lot, right? Have a landscape guy come through, have a roofing company come in. You know, if you're going to do interior repairs, have somebody come in and measure, okay? Look at the cabinets, look at the countertops, and they can give you an estimate on what it's going to cost on average to bring each unit up to the the standard that you want. Also, you can look at the general condition, interiors and exteriors, make sure it matches the story that you were told by the broker and by the owner prior to putting in the LOI. Um, so yeah, during this, this process, you're also going to verify your capital expense budget. Now, let me rewind because I got ahead of myself a little bit. You know, the, the original question is, who do you want to bring with you? You know, the general contractors, other contractors, you know, the broker is probably going to send a rep with you and the owner may send a rep. You're definitely going to have the, the current property manager on site because they're going to be the ones that are getting you into the facility. But you may have several people with you on this due diligence trip. So yeah, now what to look for? You know, I already mentioned some things, you know, pertaining to, to budgets and, and, and what the contractors are going to look for. But you want to make sure that everything that you see on the property matches the narrative that you have already in place, you know, from what the broker has told you, from what the seller has told you, and, and from what the documents in phase one have told you. And one thing that you want to make sure you do is you want to get into every single unit, okay? Every single unit. And I, I say that more than once for emphasis, you know, how many units are vacant? right? How many units have been renovated, right? We had, we had one case and these, these, these cases I'm, I'm telling you are over several properties that we've looked at. We've had one case where the rent roll said there were five down units. And when we actually did the property tour, there were eight down units and these were torn down to the studs down units, you know? So that's a significant difference. If you're planning to renovate, you know, bring five units back up and, and uh, put renters in them and there's eight down units, that's a, that's a difference, you know, a significant expense that you're going to have to pay in addition. So get into every single unit, you know, and if you're missing one unit or two units or X amount of units, right, make sure you you bring that up with the seller and with, with the broker and just say, hey, look, because we can't get into those units, we're going to assume that it's going to cost us X amount of dollars to renovate those, all right? And that's going to, you know, maybe get you into those units at a later time. Um, you're also going to look for deferred maintenance, you're, you know, and, and have contractors with you that can help this, you know, verify your capital expense budget. As I mentioned, okay, prior to, you're going to say, Hey, maybe we need to redo the roofs. It's going to be this amount. Maybe we need to, you know, restripe, restripe and seal the asphalt. Maybe we need to do some new siding, but this is the point where you're verifying the capital expense budget. All right. And remember, Hopefully you've given yourself 30 days to do this. You know, start with the physical inspections early, get the contractors out there early because there's going to be a turn time for them getting the estimates back to you. And as you walk through, have a unit by unit checklist where you can document the condition of the interiors. You know, what needs to stay or what can stay, what's in good condition and what needs to be replaced or repaired. Now we've used documents or forms that we just have pre-built in on tablets um, or, or phones as we walk through and we can just tap tap the appropriate spots to make sure we have an accurate log of what we saw. All right. Now also look at some potentially some third party reports. All right. Are there any signs of foundation repairs? Is there significant cracking? Are, are things not level? All right. If you walk into the property and you know there's 
a V-shaped floor or, or something like that, there may be some structural problems and that may trigger an inspection by a structural engineer. All right. If the building is built prior to 1978, you may want to do a lead paint or asbestos inspection. Now, beware because certain states and certain counties have laws on what has to be done with these, you know, lead with buildings that are older. Um, so make sure you're in compliance with the local laws. And in certain situations, you're going to want a plumber to come in and scope the lines. So these are these are all the things that. Uh, you know, let me back up. These are not all the things. This is a short list, a an abbreviated list of the things that that you should be looking for. But overall, you know, you want to make sure that the narrative matches on all fronts. The physical vacancy. You know, if the rent rule says that there are say eight units out of a hundred that are vacant, when you walk through you should see eight units that are vacant, no more, no less. Um, and if there's a, di- if there's a discrepancy, ask the question, you know, if somebody's just moving in or just moving out, you know, and there's, there's one or two that are off, you know, take that into account. And, and it's possible that, that, uh, that you, you show up just on somebody's move day, but you know, if there's eight, eight units vacant on the rent roll and there's 20 units vacant, when you walk through, that's a problem. And once again, also look at condition of the units. You know, we, we were told on one property, this was this was a 40-unit property we, we toured. We were told that approximately 25 of the units had been upgraded or renovated. And when we walked through, we started looking, okay, look, which ones have the newer finishes? And we started marking down, this one's renovated, this one's not. This one's renovated, this one's not. All right. End of the day, we came through and we looked at our reports and we can only count 15 that were renovated. And so we went back to the seller and said, hey, tell us again, how many units are renovated? You know, which ones were they? You know, and we got a list of units that were renovated and we were able to go back to them and say, hey, look, have you been in those recently? They're they're the same condition as everything else. So, so make sure you're keeping accurate logs, accurate report on what's going on. Now, after you're done with with the, the two phases of the property inspection, there's there's a third phase that uh, that I want to talk about, and it's the analysis of your findings. All right, were there any red flags when you went through the property? You know, look for excessive water damage. Okay, water damage is expensive to repair, and it could indicate a lot of other problems. Um, is there structural damage? Okay, large capital expenses that weren't divulged prior to the due diligence period. Are the conditions not as advertised? And electrical issues are very expensive to repair. You know, is it is it in is there aluminum wiring? Okay. If it's old enough, is there knob and tube wiring that needs to be remedied? Are there fuses instead of breaker panels? Okay. A lot of issues there that could cost you a lot of money. You know, ask questions. You know, and if some if if one red flag pops up, it's not necessarily a deal breaker. Okay. You can ask questions, get further respect inspections and or estimates for for repairs. Now, for significant issues that you find, don't be afraid to go back to the seller and ask for a credit for repairs. You know, it's called retrading, you know, or a reduction in price. Now, typically the credit is going to be better for the buyer because um, it further reduces the amount of capital you have to bring to the table. And then finally, rework your numbers based on your findings. Okay. Did your capital, your estimated capital budget go up or go down? All right. So if it went up, you know, rework the numbers. Is it still a good deal? Do the numbers still work? If so, proceed. If not, you don't have the courage to back out. And that's it for today. This was an overview of due diligence process and you know, not a thorough treatment thereof, but uh, hopefully it gave you an idea of what to look for during the due diligence and why you should do due diligence in the first place. Uh, that's it for today's show. Now stay tuned. Friday, we have another Ask the Expert episode that's going to be released with experienced investor Keeley Hubbard and aspiring investor Melanie McDaniel. And the following Monday, We have another Ask the Expert episode coming out with two-time guest now, Jerome Myers. 
and aspiring investor and former professional baseball player, Andre Jermigan. So stay tuned. We've got a couple of great shows coming ahead for you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.